This is a homebrew podcast. You're listening to The Homebrew, a sci-fi skin D&D actual play podcast. I'm Tyrell Nye, aka Heavy Arms Oliver, and I'm here to let you know we cut together a full recap. You can find it right after episode 55. If you're a person of action and you just want to dive right in, that's where to start. But if you're like me and you need to start from the very beginning, you can start at episode zero with all of its beautiful flaws exposed for the world to see. Without further ado, this is The Homebrew. The darkness, the entropy, the abyss. It goes by many names, but whatever you call it, the end is coming. In the observable universe, for as long as we've looked into the sky, millions of stars have been born and died each day. Scholars, arcanists, and scientists began to record a new disturbing trend about 1100 years ago. There were no new stars being born, and stars were dying at an alarming and increasing rate. This continued for generations, but little was done or changed outside of the academic community, and the responses from official governments were anywhere from straight denial to conciliatory actions. It was not until tragedy struck that the darkness began to be taken seriously. The Terran's homeworld sun suddenly died, without warning, seemingly without cause. Within nine minutes, Terra was in complete darkness. Plant life began to die in days, and animals soon after that. Those that could not get off the planet starved or froze as the surface of the planet reached deadly levels of cold over the course of the next year. Innumerable lives were lost in the desperate evacuation attempt. No one was prepared. Scientific expeditions to dead stars yield no clues. The gods are silent on the issue. No progress has been made on any front, magical or otherwise. As the rate of star death increases, most models show a completely dark universe within 600 to 1,000 years. With no realistic solutions in sight, life for many has simply started to adapt to a new, darker normal. The church calls it the darkness. Some among their ranks believe it, a, it is a test, while others believe they are being punished for their complacency. The Artificers Guild calls it the entropy and believes the universe is simply winding down. They seek answers to their survival in ancient technology. Some looked into the abyss and lost their souls, roaming an absurd world with a death wish, killing and plundering without remorse. The rich seek to buy a ticket to survival. These corporate-owned arcs promise ways to survive the coming extinction event through things like cryonics, digitization, DNA preservation, and even closed, sustainable systems that can drift through space without a sun indefinitely. Those without resources to buy hope are left to face reality where their planet could die at any time. And even if their luck holds, only a bleak nothingness awaits them. Welcome to the homebrew, everybody. Uh, this is our session zero. Um, we are going to meet some of the characters. We're going to learn a little bit about the world. Um, learn a little bit about about the podcast. Definitely uh, glad to have you here. Uh, if you are not interested in this sort of thing, you can go ahead and skip right to episode one and get straight into play. Otherwise, stick around. Let's go ahead and meet the players. Uh, first up is Austin. You're up. Much like the country, you're up. Um, okay, I, I'm fu- <laughs> I'm a fucking full idiot. Can we take it back? <laughs> no. Nope. What's going on? That's, that's canon now. No, this is perfect. This is what we want. Oh, this is the type of table talk we want. It just comes right Fuck out the game. Homebrew homecrew at gmail.com. Fuck it. Now my whole email. <laughs> <laughs> Not my real ass email. 
look forward to some of his artwork at any commission, send it right to him. Yep. Send it right to my pie hole. Dick pics have been solicited. Well, that's I'll not exactly playing. what I was saying, but all right. Well, what do you call art? All right. Let's meet the players. Austin, you go first. I'm Zeldwin. Uh, I'm a native of the Lost Ark ship known as the Oasis. I tend to be optimistic and vibrant, naive, a little romantic. Uh, I'm friendly to a fault and a little bit more dangerous than I tend to think I am. And I will be played by Austin Brady. Uh, I am a artist, a tabletop enthusiast, uh, and a garage-dwelling goblin man. Now, by lost ship, we mean little, lowercase l. It is lost. Yes. ship that is lost. It's a ship that is lost. Not a lost, which is a um, how we refer to kind of like an ancient civilization that Correct. has been... Correct. Lost in time. You'll learn more about those later. What's that? What do you look there. like? Uh, so I, as this is the homebrew, and we're kind of like reskinning a, a little bit here. Um, I am a, a deepling, which is our our reskinned version of a tiefling uh, that has been kind of imbued with this cosmic radiation uh, through space. Um, my skin is uh, like a graphite, dark gray. Uh, I have uh, dark, slightly opalescent horns and, and deep blue hair wreathing this sharp, angular face. Um, and on that sharp, angular face, I have a like insectoid mandible. Um, my arms are really long and lanky, but they don't have a lot of like muscle density to them because of the, uh, the kind of lack of gravity on the oasis. Um, as I was growing up, so I'm very good at dexy things and springing around and bouncing around. But as far as like, you know, when everything weighs as much as a pillow in space, you know, it's 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 not you're not gonna build up a lot of muscle mass. Um, I also wear this kind of like warm gray poncho jacket flight suit thing over my shoulders um, that has the word Oasis printed across the the chest and shoulder um, because it's actually refashioned out of uh, like shipping canvas. Um, You can also catch a small colorful bloom of a Hawaiian shirt underneath that uh, and some pretty basic linen wrapped pants that lead down his weird long legs to a pair of uh, probably homemade sandals or uh, like repurposed sneakers. I like to imagine he wears socks underneath. Oh, for sure. Does Zeldon have like rows of teeth? Um, I kind of like, yeah, I imagine the outside being like very chitinous. And then as soon as he opens, it's, it's almost like a dune worm, right? It's just like a, a hole lined with spikes. That's actually quite horrifying. Does he brush all of those? Uh, it's, it's special space gum. <laughs> he chews <laughs> space gum. As the person <laughs> responsible for playing your mother, you absolutely brush those. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. It's like a toilet brush I just shoved down my throat. <laughs> I'm curious. So, like, you have this exoskeleton-like thing you're describing. Do you molt or shed? Like, how does that work? Like, Ooh, I like the idea of molting. I like the idea Ooh. of like some of the other characters walking in on me molting. <laughs> and it's uh, you're a, a an arcane trickster rogue, 
right? Uh, I'm actually a swashbuckler rogue, but okay. I, as a feat, I'm taking the like um, magic initiate uh, warlock trait or feat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna know some spells, but I'm gonna be uh, jump in, hit him real quick, jump out. Very mm-hmm. very tricky lad. I was surprised when Austin pitched the um, rogue to me because I know him as a player. He likes to have like a lot of tools on his belt. He likes to have things, and so I was like, a rogue, okay, all right. And then I saw the magic initial. I was like, oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gotta have some spells. Now, I gave you a couple uh, homebrewed special items that make Zaldwin who Zaldwin is. Yes. Uh, so the, the main one is um, a small robot named Hermes. So this is kind of like a, a hand of the uh, AI that runs the Oasis. Um, the AI's name is, is Calypso, and we'll talk a little bit about them later. But uh, the robot is kind of this, this guardian over Zaldwin. Um, it's not necessarily sure. I'm not necessarily sure if like the 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 ship is watching over Zaldwin through Hermes or anything. But he's a he's a small, uh, you know, Sky Roomba. He's a like geometric robot. Sky Roomba. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've heard that before, but that is a yes, Sky Roomba. Perfect. Um, and he. Uh, he know he can like learn spells. He can record them and understand how they work, and kind of like cast them back out again. Um, and Grant, you've worked with me to like kind of build this this leveling up system specifically for Hermes, which I'm kind of excited about. Basically, I I earn experience points by tinkering with him that I can then use to uh, build him up in specific ways. So I could eventually put like hacker's tools on him or I could like mount a sword to him or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Blind and then unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> and then my uh, minor m- items are some uh, like makeshift laser swords. So everything on the o- Oasis is repurposed and refashioned. So they uh you know, it probably looks like a sort of like old gun handle uh, with like some levers from like an espresso machine or something. But it's all been kind of like fitted into this uh, like bootleg lightsaber. Uh, so I have a pair of those that I keep up my sleeves. Okay. And then Austin. Yes. What is the most common like quote or saying that just like enrages you that you think's just complete bullshit ah uh, like love means never having to say you're sorry oh my god yeah I, I mean one, like, right? you should probably say sorry every once in a while yeah um it, it's maybe not a phrase but a way that like people say things i'm from the midwest and like i know a lot of people around me i love you the midwest but if you say the word palo oh mm. <laughs> If you it say, sounds like if a you word Zaldwin would say. If you say milk, I'm I'm just not milk. here for it. Milk, milk, and palo. I haven't milk. even heard palo. I don't know palo. Like friendo, or do you mean like pillow? No, like pillow. Like oh, okay, but, okay. I've never heard anyone say palo, but yeah, I thought I just pictured Zaldwin be like, "What's up, palo?" <laughs> I've heard pillow. Yeah, pillow, palo, pal. Yeah, it, it's pillow. My I'm favorite just, is. 
my favorite is the uh, if you can't accept me at my worst you don't deserve me at my best oh my god so terrible especially when you know people who are like awful and it's like is that your best though (laughs) (laughs) and cody i think you're up next Hey everybody, I'm Carl Goss, uh, host of Galaxy to Galaxy Pirate Radio. I love movies, music, video games, you know, the usual stuff. Lately, my personal obsession is uh, the Ancient Lost. They're pretty, you know, all-encompassing of my thoughts. And the mystery of the Oasis, whatever happened to that ship. Uh, I'm Cody, I play Carl. I also love movies, music, and video games. Who doesn't, right? Longtime D&D fan. So Carl, he's a pretty interesting character. He's a young guy. He's like 16 years old. Um, he's uh, kind of into body modification, you could say. He has a computer implanted into his brain and uh, like a Geordi LaForge from Star Trek visor kind of thing for eyes. He has uh, half his head shaved where you can see some data ports for like computer hacking. And the rest of his hair is dyed green. He usually wears like a blue hoodie that he's quite partial to with like built-in armor and uh, black shorts and like some Chuck Taylors. And uh, yeah, since this is the homebrew after all, Carl has a couple other items that were for him. His uh, built-in terminal is wetware, as I call it. Gives him some unique abilities that range from audio-visual recording to enhanced reflexes and all kinds of things in between. A lot of uh, utility. And uh, he also has a piece of tech from The Lost that he doesn't fully understand. Seems to do more than what I know it does. But the one thing I definitely know it does is that it unlocks things. So I call it the key. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about your uh, your radio show. I know that's a big part of the character. Yeah, Carl, um, he hosts like a intergalactic radio show that's, uh, you know, think uh, Coast to Coast or Infowars, I suppose, but a little bit less uh, aggressive. <laughs> uh, you know, conspiracy paranormal radio where people from all over the galaxy call in and let us know the what's really happening out there. Um, and you broadcast that like straight from your mind, right? Like you right. use your wetware. All the broadcasting stuff is in Carl's head. So wherever he's at is wherever the broadcast is being uh, transmitted from. He can interview anybody just by talking to them, and he can do video, 3D, audio, the works. Great. Tell tell, uh, tell everyone a little bit of your uh, your backstory. So um, I think it's pertinent um, growing up and that type of thing. Touch on that real quick. So Carl um, has had kind of a rough childhood um, in human slash Terran life, as we call it. Uh, you get kind of swept up into the government pretty quick, and Carl was like a boy genius. Think like, you know, Dexter, Jimmy Neutron. And he got caught up in, you know, the government's vast plans for the universe and without knowing it, got taken advantage of. And his wetware kind of was going to be weaponized with this AI that was going to enhance reflexes and stuff like that. They would enhance you with this computer and then install software into it that would make you beyond human um 
So he took the prototype stuff and became like a political asylum uh, to the OIT, the Offices of Intergalactic Treaties. And from there, they kind of, you know, helped him relocate and kind of hide his identity from the people that would have him. And that's kind of how he, where we find him now. He's hosting this radio show to try and passively gain information on the things he's interested in without causing too much of a wave. And what's your favorite movie? My personal favorite movie? That's probably uh, The Thing by John Carpenter. I really like that thing? one. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I don't, I don't, that, you caught me off guard. I thought you were going to say something else. I can concur. This is his favorite movie. He talks about it all the time. Is, I this, put a, is this a remake? Is this like a, is this the original? Well, it's oh, like it's a, it's based off of a book that came out a long time ago and they made it into a movie and it gets remade every, I think they made a new one. It's not the new one they made is a prequel. In like it's like the scary movie that kind of like set the stage for like thrillers period like moving into like modern like horror this is what i like to imagine the uh the the plot of among us is <laughs> yeah i think among us oh yeah, very sure. much very much have you not watched the thing i haven't i've ne- i had to google it it was my clicky clack and when he mentioned that i had to go look at what that was oh my god oh wow i okay all right yeah. i'll watch it <laughs> all right let's move on to tyrell I'm Heavy Arms Oliver, the best pit fighter in the known universe. And before I was working for Carl, I was what you would call uh, a gladiator, owned and operated by one Lucky Lucio with his ties to the criminal underground. He's dead now. So I'm free, and it's been pretty nice so far. And I'm played by Tyrell Nye. I'm a musician, streamer, and a longtime D&D player, tracing my roots back to... 3.5 and Pathfinder, which were my favorite additions to play back in the day. Um, and now I'm here playing the big boy. <laughs> uh, Oliver is a, uh, he's quite the character with a really, really tragic backstory and really, really big arms. So I'm pretty in love with him, have been since the start. And I'm really excited to like show people all the shenanigans he's going to get into. What's this? Uh, what's this best pit fighter in the known universe? What 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 would people see when he steps into the ring? Yeah, old Oliver has a staggering record of sixty nine and one. Um, hey yo, fights. Hey, uh, being beaten he lost by that one chip to make it. <laughs> he got a yeah, yeah, yeah. So the sixty nine and one um, losing to a uh, a famous fighter named uh, Brokeback Jack. Um, He's uh, nope. he's young, only eighteen. You nope. lost to Johnny Silverface. Johnny Silverface. That's, I thought it was Brokeback Jack. You play you, you beat Brokeback Jack. Oh Time yeah, to yeah, take yeah. It back. Sorry, I'll take it back. No, okay, we keep it. People like mistakes at session zero. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, I lost to some Broke dude. Jack. Yeah, I lost to some dude. Um, I'll beat him again someday. Um, but uh, Oliver is young. He's only eighteen. Um, he's spent most of his, uh, life in the pit, uh, his younger life in the pit. Um, he has massive, illegally enhanced mechanical arms, um, which replaced, uh, he was a double, double amputee as a child and, uh, his, um, caretaker, quote unquote, Lucky Lucio decided to put highly illegal militarized, 
uh, mechanical arms on him that are absolutely humongous. Um, and he uses those to beat, batter, destroy anything that gets in his way. Um, and also, it definitely helps to use a lot of weaponized drugs that he directly infuses into his neck uh, via syringes um, built into the shoulder plates of his arms. So not only is he a huge mechanized weapon, but he is a drug-fueled weaponized, uh, huge weaponized uh, person. So... Now I know you're you're you love your characters. You love your characters' backstory. I've been playing with you for a while. Do you want to share any little tidbits about Oliver's background, or do you want the players to experience it kind of like someone who met him might? Um, yeah, I think um, I think Oliver's story is best told through the podcast. So I don't want to give too much. Um, Oliver's had a, a long, rough road in his short life. We'll we'll leave it at that. Um, he he's lost most of the things that he's loved and um finding carl goss and the uh members of this new troop is a is a big turning point for oliver finding new friends is super important and uh it's uh it's a big deal for him so uh items let's talk about uh talk about your homebrewed special things that you have yeah so uh as far as um, my items, my major item are the heavy arms, experimental and illegal integrated gear. Um, uh, major note is that these are, um, we live in a sci-fi universe uh, where there's lots of tech, but even with that, these are highly um, morally uh, uh, questionable um, items that are illegal to put on anyone. Um, the surgery itself um, makes, uh, usually kills the person who goes through the surgery so uh and they feel as if they're flesh and blood arms but these arms are about the length of my body and the cool thing about them is they take the place of all of the fighting techniques the the fighting styles that a fighter can use so um depending on my mood i can switch between a dual wielder a great weapons fighter a um more sword and board shielded um mode so my arms transform and move to make me faster or hit harder or be more defensive um and i'm able to do that um in combat uh pretty seamlessly so it makes uh oliver a really hard um person to fight uh hand to hand um his minor item is his stim delivery augments um very early on uh in the uh, transition to making uh, Oliver a vicious pit fighter, Lucio decided he needed more oomph, so he uh, made it so that Oliver can more efficiently process any drug put into his system, um, leaving him with the injectors that he has to pump uh, nearly lethal doses of steroids and augments into his body so that he can get that extra edge against people he's fighting. And I've, of course, homebrewed a a, a variety of fun substances that you can experiment with. Oh yeah, there's a bunch of fun drugs um, specially made into our universe here that um, Oliver has a few of in his possession right now and has used some of the scariest ones in uh, the past. So hopefully you'll get to see a lot of that moving forward if it doesn't kill Oliver outright. <laughs> When I was checking character sheets, I was like, "TJ, you didn't, you, you didn't uh, 
put anything in your inventory because all he had in his inventory was a bunch of drugs and he's like that's my inventory like, okay <laughs> yeah. that's all i need baby <laughs> i imagine he was carrying a purse and like just hope no one searches him because if you dump it out it'd just be like a bunch of used needles oh yeah yeah so uh basically all in all if there's a uh you know if my other characters are either charming or extremely intelligent um oliver is the uh heavy lead hammer that smashes into things all right and what okay how many um what's the minimum number of ingredients that something can have for you to consider it soup two what about tomato soup <gasps> dun, dun, we didn't dun. think about it well, that's a, oh my god it just blew my mind <laughs> it's, it's water it's, an ingredient though because i know yeah. what you're gonna say add water is water an yeah. ingredient yeah, water is oh. an ingredient. So raw, well, so water would technically be the broth of the soup, and the tomato is the like thing, right? What about like butternut squash soup then, Austin? That's like one ingredient, right? If you're not putting, is it is that that's like applesauce? That's just butternut your, sauce. Yeah, if you're not putting parmesan in your butternut squash soup, then it's not butternut squash soup. You don't what know how it? to. Cook. When does it stop being soup and start being like? poop uh well like no like um puree or oh yeah yeah you know it's what i mean purees. like it, it like applesauce could technically just be apple soup is applesauce soup right if tomato soup is soup then isn't applesauce soup it's an interesting no. question apple soup something I think applesauce is a soup for sure and if that's how we're defining soup what else is soup i think applesauce is more like tomato paste than tomato soup Cereal is definitely. What's the difference soup? between tomato paste and tomato soup? Tomato paste goes into tomato soup. <laughs> Why is oh. cereal soup? Doesn't it have to be cooked for it to be soup? No. Oh yeah. Wait. No, because there's there's cold soups. There's no. There I guess I've heard this argument. Gazpacho is cooked. It's just served cold. This is true. Well, oh. milk is also pasteurized. So, and when sure. it's not, it's cooked within the cow. Cow's body heat cooks the milk. <laughs> No, I think you have to cook something. <laughs> That's not no. You have to cook the thing in the broth. That's what makes it soup. I don't want to. I don't like. Okay. That. Well, listeners, you gotta uh, boil your milk before you, <laughs> you make your cereal. You want <laughs> to soup? <laughs> if you're like, I need soup for breakfast, but I also want cereal. Then yeah, cook it. Although at that this point, is I would why say we're not starting a uh, a culinary podcast. Obviously. Um, Hey, I would totally do that. Last and also least. <laughs> sorry. No, last but not least. That was a joke. John. John, do you prefer John or do you prefer Pippin? I prefer Pippin. No, I don't, I don't know the extent to which you prefer Pippin. Well, I didn't know his name was John for two years. So, okay. Pippin. Before my 20s, I started going by uh, Pippin to most people. And so it's like, if you knew me before then, I was John. After, it was Pippin. Pippin, then. All right. Hello, I'm Nivitz Pozu, and you may know me from some of my brilliant research papers I published just a few years ago, but unlikely, but still possible, you may have heard of me from my services to the Palpal Knights. I was a veteran there for 35 years before I retired and joined the Ancient Alliance, and I'll be played by John Cayley. I am an on-and-off-again veteran player. Malio, not that I'm sure what that means, and... I like video games, a lot of them. What kind of video games do you like? Well, all mo- most video games. I'm not really into 
like Madden and stuff like that. But I do, I have played them. I'm not really into the racing games, but basically from farming simulators like Harvest Moon to Rust, spent many, many hours in Rust. <laughs> oh boy, that's a pit. And to WoW and League. So I might catch you guys on there some point if you guys want to look Absolutely. me up. <laughs> and I play Nivitz. Nivitz, he's a very eccentric character. He's actually the oldest member of this quartet. He's a very handsome and tall gnome, standing at a grand three foot eight inches. He's 105 years old. So yeah, add the others up and you're not even close. <laughs> uh, he has uh, gray shoulder length hair, gray beard, and combined with his very uh, patchwork, messy robes he dons, he looks very old but you know he's actually still in the prime of his gnome life so there's that we had a lot of fun with your magical item well items i got my cool ring of mind shielding which is my minor item it uh prevents outside people from being able to read my mind tell what i'm feeling if i'm lying just kind of protects me from outside influences and it can be invisible upon command does have a really up cool other function it actually if i die while wearing the ring my soul can be stored inside of the ring but that's if there's not another soul in my ring which is the big question because of my other item the tck g7 which is this really messed up item <laughs> <laughs> yeah messed up uh once per long rest i can clone myself and it's like a quick cellular cellular grown clone like it's rapid pace like within a couple seconds it's just like a whole new nivets even with clothes however that works i don't know but it's it's, it's just very a skin. <laughs> oh it's just the skin that's actually it's, that helps it's, that helps his clothes <laughs> is a skin his staff and everything is in just like a bone bone with skin that's just like pigmented to the correct colors that's crazy <laughs> But yeah, this, this uh, item's crazy. It's broken like at least 100, uh, no, like 37 treaties for this instant cloning device. And it lets the clone uh, continue casting whatever spell I'm currently trying to cast when I push the button on my device. Uh, my clone can also cast cantrips. It has to stay like 30 feet with me. And after an hour, it instantly dies. Or I may kill it. Because like I said, Nivitz is quite eccentric and... He's an oddball. Murder is just being an oddball here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, so he, how do you know that you're not the clone? Oh, well, I assume I'm not the clone since I live longer than an hour. But that could be a side effect because the original me is dead and my soul's inside the ring. And so clone's taking my spot. But I don't know. It's crazy. If it's maybe a clone, everybody. Stay we'll tuned never for know. more. We'll never know. Uh, and then there's me. I'm Grant Milky. I'm the DM. Uh, I have been playing games my whole life. I love fantasy. I love sci-fi. Grew up on Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and like really nerdy Star Wars, like the extended universe books and stuff. I love like the Dark Tower series. Um, huge, huge into just any sort of world where there's just like a ton of lore and a ton of history. Um, I love really, really deep 
worlds like that and i definitely get lost in them um i also uh i'm i'm a I'm dad husband i love cooking um specifically i'm, I'm an aspiring salumist which means i cure and smoke sausage um i work in marketing right now but i hope to sell the world some delicious meats someday i've heard they're pretty good very proud of my sausage and everyone loves my sausage i've been told it is immaculate sausage god put your pants on <laughs> i don't know why i ever would with how much people like my sausage <laughs> so what's the homebrew uh yeah we are we're going to be an actual play D podcast which means what you're listening to right now it's happening uh for the most part you're getting like the same experience you would if you were like sitting at the table with us, we lightly edit for brevity or just like really ridiculous mistakes or like lost audio, things like that, and add some little touches like music and ambience. But for the most part, this is you're playing with us. You're hanging out. Um, I would say everyone here, we're not like comedians or voice actors, but we are like D&D lovers. Uh, we really adore great storytelling, uh, character development, um, the collaborative nature of all that. So I think that what you're going to get from this podcast is going to be a, you know, robust world with interesting characters who have, you know, all these different storylines that are interwoven together. Um, and I think uh, if you appreciate that type of thing as much as we do, then you're going to have a good time here. Um, we're playing fifth edition and it is skinned for sci-fi. Uh, as you might have guessed from the name, we love to homebrew. So there's a lot of custom monsters and abilities and items that we've you know, mathed out and play tested. And we reskin a lot of our abilities for the purpose of RP. So like a fireball might be a grenade in our world, just depending on the character you're playing and um, how that works. So uh, 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 TJ Oliver's heavy arms, right? Like that's a versatile weapon that could be one handed or two handed. And he's RPing it as if he has two massive arms. Um, I am, I used a thing that's kind of like uh, cybernetic die is what I called them, but it's essentially based on the psionic class um, for Carl, things like that. If you're not sure what something is, feel free to ask us discord facebook twitter whatever um it, it's in the game it has rules i will add stuff to DD beyond as we go so you can hop in and use it or if it inspires you you can see kind of how i worked the math um but everything is actually something in the game it's just a matter of what that is and we'll try to describe what it is that we're doing but if that doesn't happen just feel free to ask us um the first campaign that we're going to be playing is called absurdism and a millennium abroad it is a uh, crafted to be a very dark world with not a lot of good choices. Um, as you heard from the the death of the stars, it's this idea that not it's not just that like you're doomed or everything's doomed, but potentially just that like life itself is ending. Um, and it's created these rifts in class and race and philosophy. Like for example, an elf would be much more concerned about a uh impending doom in a thousand years than like a human as we can see in the real world how humans act with impending doom in a thousand years um and yeah and there's also the um people that can afford to buy you know attempts to survive and people who are working for those people and things like that so a lot of interesting stories i hope that that uh crop up um 
I think one thing we forgot to cover, guys, was classes. I know we talk, We know that uh, Zaldwin's a rogue. Carl, what are you playing? Oh, I'm an artificer. I'm going to take that from 1 to 20. 1 to 20. No multiclassing at all. Are you planning on multiclassing at all, Zaldwin? Uh, I have no clue yet. I want to play him out. You know, I got my little bit of magic that I can do. I might be satiated with that. (laughs) Yeah. Cody always. Have you ever had a character you didn't plan out to level 20, Cody? No. And sometimes it's a giant waste of my time for like, you know, a campaign that gets canceled or something like that. But I just like to have a roadmap so I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And uh, uh, Oliver. Oliver is currently a fighter, um, which later down the road will most likely turn into dips into barbarian. Of course, because it's not a campaign without a barbarian. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Oliver aesthetically should have been a barbarian right out the gate, but fighter words. I, I like the fighter thing. I also can like do more with the custom stuff, too, because barbarians are kind of already a little overpowered. And Nivitz, what are you? Nivitz is a straight up wizard. Just a wizard. What yeah. and what? Um, remind me what school? What's it called? Not college. That's bards. Uh, it, it is school. And is it invocation? The one with like uh, creating elements like uh, fireballs and blah. Which one is that? Now I'm gonna have to relook at my school. I think it's invocation. Important for later. You should definitely <laughs> know what you're doing there. Um, yeah, so I, I think that covers kind of what the homebrew is and uh, what the campaign that we're going to be getting into is. Uh, we're going to go through some lore. Um, this is going to explain some of the factions that are at play in the world. And of course, we'll talk about stuff and, you know, you know, experiencing a faction is the best way to learn more about kind of what drives them. Um, but I do want to give you a head start into what that looks and feels like. So we'll we'll read through some of the lore. Uh, and I think we're going to start, uh, Tyrell, can you tell us about the Terran command? Uh, and then everyone feel free to kind of ask questions or give insights. You guys do know, uh, all the players do know, uh, a little bit about the world and can kind of comment on things like that. All right. So here's the lore is written for Terran command. Terran command is the largest military force in the galaxy and operates primarily to protect the human race and its space stations and settlements. Um, It is, however, perpetually involved in an innumerable number of smaller conflicts and peacekeeping arrangements. It is led by a council of 20 five-star generals who serve until death or retirement. Five stars anonymously vote on an outgoing general's replacement. The council also oversees the administrative and civilian offices of the Terran Command. So basically, it is a military construct at its final form. Terran cities, ports, space stations generally answer to a manager who in turn answers to a council-appointed regional manager. Terran civilians are assigned their job role at birth but can appeal that decision upon completing state-mandated education. Most of a Terran's life is very strictly guided. Their friendship and dating pools are regulated. Permits must be acquired for any sort of small or large life event such as moving or having a family. Taking a vacation, adopting a pet, Terran Command has no currency and no market whatsoever. All needs are provided by the state. Leaving the Terran Command voluntarily is allowed. However, all benefits of housing, travel, rations, fuel, so on, are frozen permanently, and re-entry into the system is not permissible. As of the death of the Terran homeworld 500 years ago, which we talked about a little bit in the intro, extreme measures to preserve humanity went into immediate effect, 
And as such, no one of any race that is not born to two Terran Command members uh, can ever truly become part of the Terran Command, making non-human members an extreme rarity. This has inflamed a long, uh, scrubbed and rewritten history of Terran xenophobia, leading to an influx of young humans exiting Terran protection in protest. Terran Command entities lean towards lawful alignments, although certainly not always. Um or even usually good alignments. A Terran soldier could be part of mercenary protectorate assigned to a new settlement on the frontier of space. A Terran civilian uh, could be an uncompromising lawyer living in an embassy that defends Terran interests. A Terran cleric or paladin could swear fealty to the state. Um, So yeah, very super strict uh, military, militant people now that we've lost our home world, and um, uh, definitely not one for politics more of do as you are told type <laughs> group. Yeah. And uh, it, it explains a little bit about Carl's past too, about uh, being identified as gifted at a very young age and having his life kind of planned out for him. Right. And now leading him to be the little punk rocker going against the man that he is today. Fuck man. <laughs> uh, so tell me about the church, the church. So this is a uh, capital T capital C, the church so the church in our current game world uh millions of years have already been lost to time or rewritten 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 i'm going to struggle today you guys get here like this forever now i'm just gonna be like this oh i hate that (laughs) okay i'll start in the current world our, our game universe uh millions of years of history have been lost to time or rewritten thousands of cultures religions and races have risen and fallen the church believes that this ideal as its core tenet tenet and is at the same time a homogenous embodiment of the truth church follows the ever and all hosts which is a pantheon of all known and unknown gods they believe that all beliefs demand equal study and worship that every tenet of every faith deserves reverence even chaotic and evil gods and beliefs are accepted as ideas that demand attention and worship even if they cannot be followed they teach a general good and general spirituality the church is by far the majority religion of all the settled planets a paladin of the church would violently defend equality a cleric or a monk might make a pilgrimage to a newly discovered non-spacefaring planet to learn as much as they could about their religion ways church wizard a church wizard would likely be an archivist seeking ancient truths in abandoned ruins the church claims autonomous rule over its properties and presences whether it is whether that is in a space station or planet site it uses night protection and trade union services which are vital to the survival of many settlements as leverage to establish colonies in its presence i want to i want to touch real quick on a paladin of the church would violently defend equality um i want you guys to picture this as like have you guys ever seen like the righteous gemstones yeah no i can't say i have oh dude i love that show <laughs> Like, this is, like, really floaty spirituality, but, like, they're so, so, like, a paladin would, like, murder you for, like, I don't know, like, uh, any, any, anything that they would consider to be, like. So you're saying, like, classic, classist, sexist, racist. Right, absolutely. Any of those they, things. Right. They would, like, they would white knight anybody for any reason as, like a very core part of their like faith like they they are very they're violent but it's all very like it's just a general spirituality i don't know a good way to describe it you guys will have to interact with them a little bit 
right yeah all right Hmm. you get that a very cool twist i think on like the religious sect of a story right yeah and i mean this is like all worlds like this is like kind of like the roman empire kind of took up you know hundreds of different uh spiritualities and like kind of combined them into like a homogenous like try and please everyone type of thing like that's what this is but the billions of years of evolution and so on and so forth and they've got uh three major arms pippin uh the you know administrative the military and the trade tell us a little bit about those all right they have the palpacy the papal knights and the trade union the big thing. all right the palpacy is the administrative office of the church they oversee the knights trade union and all the church settlements church believes its pope is decided by a divine appointment from the ever and all host which is communicated by the cardinals during a conclave cardinals are in turn appointed by the pope from ordained bishops across the universe the vatican it is a massive mobile space station that houses the papal offices the pope themselves the church college which trains the church clerics paladins bards wizards and the like and the church museum which houses all the known ancient artifacts that have been claimed by the church and then there's the military branch which is the papal knights the knights are, are the military arm of the church. They defend the church territory against any and all bandit or raiders. They have their own leadership structure and answer only to the Pope. Recent events have led to accusations that the knights are abandoning the church principles by singling out enders for military action instead of seeking to understand and convert them and taking a more of an offensive role rather than providing protection. Firstly, many within the knights believe that the darkness is a punishment and warning from the ever and all host for the church's complacency on the issue the rift between the church and the knights teachings has largely been ignored by pope cumberbatch the ninth which is many rumors abounding that the knights are speaking and acting out of turn and then its commerce is the trade union trade union is an ai-led completely fair and open trade system that transports goods between worlds it allows settlements and private ventures to succeed in a new way providing a consistent form for export income and the necessities for survival in harsh climates. It's staffed primarily by robots, but there are penitents in its ranks. Prices are set via AI and are completely transparent, and all transactions are recorded and publicly available. On occasion, the complex AI will cause a war forge to gain sentience, and at which point they are, at which point they are compensated for all past services and welcome to the church. There is no marketing there's no marketing competition promotions and nothing sold that is not deemed essential food fuel toiletries etc the trade union takes 10 percent cut of all the transactions which makes the church the largest reservoir of wealth known to mortals yeah so the way that the church kind of works is there will there's almost always going to be a church present on every planet that you guys interact with whether that be ancient alliance whether that be Terran command like churches everywhere and even if it was like a criminal enterprise like people need the papal knights they need the trade union like they need access to these infrastructures or a lot of times they can't survive so what it's done is it's opened up a lot of new worlds where maybe you know this world has a lot of this resource right and so they can go and they don't have to make a supply chain and they don't have to figure out how to export it import it they don't have to have all the resources that they need to survive on that planet. They can bring in the trade union and boom, water, food, you know, a consistent way to export what they're mining on the planet. And in trade, the church says, okay, but I get this chunk of land and this is mine and we're going to set up our office here and we're autonomous, right? So there's no, 
it, it'd be like an embassy. Like it is, it is completely autonomous and the church is everywhere, literally in every planet, every space station, every world. So you will see a lot of the church. Next up, let's talk about the Artificers Guild. Well, let's talk about the OIT first, Cody. Okay. Offices of Intergalactic Treaties. So the OIT is a jointly created organization that supports the innumerable treaties between the civilized spacefaring entities, as one can imagine. They rule on settlements, terraforming, claims, trade routes, war crimes, any number of issues that arise in disagreements between members. There are thousands of planets in the OIT, but there are also the OITs, the OIT Independent Entities, which may be a corporation, space station, or a noble house. They have no standing army generally. However, this alliance's recommendations are held in high regard, generally by most people. The summit is a space station located in the neutral solace system where the OIT members, ambassadors, and their cohorts live. There's a strong and permanent Terran command and Papal Knight presence defending the summit. So the OIT is like the UN if Amazon and Tesla could be like members of it, basically, if that makes sense to everyone. So it's like a distant, distant relative to like the United Nations. I also want to point out the difference between the Terran command and the Papal Knights, um, just so that you guys are aware, like the Papal Knights would be much easier to like receive help from. But there's nowhere near as many Papal Knights as there are like Terran Command. So like if the Terran Command came in, they'll probably win. Like they're the hugest military force ever. But like not going to do it for free. And chances are you're going to owe them something. And you know what I mean? They'll probably make a base on your, your planet. And they're, yeah. So the, obviously people would prefer like the Papal Knights come in. But there's just nowhere near as many as there would be like a, the, the Terran Command is just the largest military force. So the OIT armed with the Ancient Alliance and the Terran Command and the Papal Knights. I mean, for the most part, they're allied and aligned. Well, uh, well, we'll talk about the Ancient Alliance. They're not in the OIT. But anyways, uh, that's a uh, that's what that is. Um, Austin, tell us about the Artificers Guild. Well, all members of the church worship gone to some degree. A large faction of the Ancient Artificers Guild never truly integrated and remains a haven for craftsmen and arcanists across the known worlds. Their followers not only create and invent, but also staunchly oppose corporate interests and seek out to protect technology and knowledge lost to the ages. Beyond the obvious artificer class, a cleric of the Artificer's Guild may be a treasure hunter that delves into ancient ruins in search for lost technology. Some extreme members of the guild have sworn an oath of the Watcher, um, which means that they are dedicating themselves against the entropy, while others within the guild believe the entropy to be a simple, natural order of things. The Artificers Guild and the Paladins of the Ancients are in direct opposition. The Paladins of the Ancients believe that the Artificers Guild holds technology above magic and misuses the essence, and the misuse of essence is what fuels the darkness. The guild. Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, TJ, uh, Tyrell, I just added the Enders in. I realized that I didn't have them in the outline. Will you tell us about the Enders? Oh, yeah. All right, Enders, guys. Probably one of my favorite outside-of-game factions. Um, In-game, I think most people are going to hate them. But uh, (laughs) Enders, quickly rising to infamy after the death of the Terran homeworld, it can be said simply that the Enders are the chaotic evil in the world. Full stop. 
They have stared into the abyss and they have lost their souls. They kill, they raid, they take. A closer examination, if one dared, would show a perhaps even more horrifying structure to the madness. The Enders worship a duality of indulgence and destruction. They have no regard for life and believe in subjugating anyone who cannot or will not kill you. While teaching the weak to constantly plot to kill their betters and take their place. An Ender never delays gratification. For instance, an Ender would always stop to attack and utterly destroy a small trade convoy. Even if it meant their larger planned mark would escape. Because tomorrow is never expected. An Ender will always take any risk assuming some chance of survival. They seek death, but seek it in an earned way. And desire to take as much life and property with them when they go. An Ender commits ritualistic suicide at the age of 30, regardless of race. Ender captains never assault or interfere with each other unless one of the above tenants is proven to be broken, and no one in the captain's tribe is powerful enough to do the job. There are little to no recorded conversations with or study of the Enders due to the nature of the cult, but it is rumored Ender captains claim to answer to the end, which some say is the Ender name for the darkness. There is one chilling viral vid, however, of an Ender captain screaming, the end is coming, whilst being dragged to the gallows by the church. When asked, what is the end? He answered simply, I am the end. As you would guess, too, with the kind of their suicide ritual that they do, uh, the younger races tend to be Enders more often. Uh, Humans and things like that. Much more common. The baby races. The baby races. Speaking of baby races, let's talk about baby racist. No, no. Racist. Let's talk about what's a baby. Babies aren't racist. Racism's learned. You can be racist against babies, maybe. Maybe baby racist. Not. <laughs> let's talk about not baby racists. The <laughs> ancient alliance. In an incredible and stunning move, twenty-five years ago, the elven. Dwarven and Gnomish homeworlds left the OIT and combined governments under a newly formed triumvirate made up of three kings of the aforementioned worlds, believing their best interests were not being served by the races of shorter lifespans. This signals the first ever exit from the OIT and rocked the diplomatic landscape of the entire universe in a way never seen before. They expelled any official presence of the church, knights, port authority, Terran command, and trade union from any and all of their claims. The universe sat at the brink of war as skirmishes broke out across space. Luckily, a tenuous peace was struck, and the aforementioned entities withdrew peacefully. The Ancients' Alliance overnight became a massive and threatening force that spans hundreds of settlements and stations uh, beyond the mentioned homeworlds. Those of any elven, dwarven, gnomish, and any other race considered ancient by AA rulings, such as like the Drow, Ifrit, Sylph, etc., were granted immediate Ancients' Alliance citizenship. And all races could apply, assuming they display academic, arcane, or some related competency and dedicate themselves to solving the darkness and preserving the universe. The triumvirate quickly passed laws that assured freedom for and from religion, free speech and free thought laws, and even some ethics protections, rather protections from ethics, with the express purpose of coming up with a solution to the darkness. Nothing is off the table. The Ancients Alliance has tempted many scholars and academics with the promise of a free thinking and problem solving without the boundaries of petty theism or politics. An Ancients Alliance scholar may be a magic user who does not follow a deity or is more chaotic and less moral in their approach to attaining knowledge. Conversely, an Ancients Alliance fighter could be a dwarf who left the church 
the church's passivity to lend his shield to the ancient alliance quest to defeat the darkness. As you would imagine, it is a much more present danger, something that is much more concerning to the uh, the ancient races, as it were. So they just recently have left the OIT, and that's a major event that is uh, causing some of the events that we're going to go up against. Uh, tell me about the Paladins of the Ancients, Pippin. Okay, Paladins of the Ancients. While the AA is not a religious structure, the Triumphant publicly funds and supports an order, the POA, who swear to a newly discovered ancient pantheon. The POTA is the only organization to provide any sort of study of the darkness, darkness or chaos, whatever that you may call it. Pointing out, although not making available for peer review, that based on arcane currents, proximities, and age that stars closer or more aligned to worlds where technology is misused are more, more likely to die. This blame of technology has led to an extreme animosity between the Paladins of the Ancients and the Artificers Guild. While labeled as rid- ridiculous by most organizations, the AA immediately funded the Paladins of the Ancients heavily after reviewing this. Not all the Paladins of the Ancient members are Paladins. The ranks include all classes. They need only to value nature or magic above technology. Cool. Uh, so we've got the Port Authority and the Oasis. We want to talk about a little, little bit more about Cody. Tell me about the Port Authority. All right. The Port Authority and its Dock Workers Union are an oity. You know, we just talked about them. And recognized as an autonomous government in and of themselves. They have a presence on most worlds. Surprisingly, among its numbers are some of the hardiest and most talented mechanics, pilots, and spacefarers around. Often the first ones into a hazardous environment to build and maintain the systems needed to keep everyone's ships moving. They are not, however, all good eggs. The Port Authority, airtight and untouchable by most legal measures, has become a haven for rogues, muscle, smugglers, pirates, gangs, all sorts of questionable folk. It's nearly impossible to find a civilized planet where you can land your ship and not have to deal with the Port Authority in some capacity. So it's a good idea to always have a few extra credits on hand to grease some palms. The Dock Workers Union elect representatives who in turn elect a steward. That steward appoints the other administrative positions. The stewards serve for five-year terms, and reps serve until retirement or removal. These positions are often bought, traded, and filled by puppets. Port Authority makes sense, everybody? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Seem like a bunch of jerks. I mean, they're not, they're definitely, yeah, I, they're definitely not all jerks. I think just the nature of what they do, the work that they do is something that everyone needs, and you can't have a port, uh, you can't have, you know what I mean? Like, you can't have the people in charge of the port, the same people who are in charge of the church or in charge of the Terran Command. Like, it has to be unionized, and it would definitely be unionized, but just because of the nature of it some bad people sneak in there i feel like if i personally lived in this universe i would probably work for the port authority (laughs) all right yeah no i it's a yeah it it is it is exactly what it sounds like it's it's not that everyone who works at the port is bad like they're some of the best engineers and mechanics and pilots and they do all the dirty work they're the ones who go to open up this you know what i mean they're the ones that land first and build where the other spaceships are going to land um, it's just, the um, due to the just nature of it, um, and the autonomy of it, it has led to some, you know, black market type stuff. 
Uh, Austin, tell me a little bit more about the Oasis. It is actually a pretty major part of the story and part of the world. So tell us what we need to know. Yeah, uh, the Oasis is my kind of like bread and butter. Um, when I was like dreaming up this place that Zaldwin would would come from. So seven years ago, the luxury vessel the Oasis set out to be the premier star cruiser for the wealthy looking to escape the pollution chaos of their prospective planets and drift endlessly into the entropy. Armed with state-of-the-art AI, they were able to experience all the pleasures of a lush planet side from the comfort of their decks, serving a large variety of planet species. Uh, The ship included a vast botanical garden uh, for rainforest-esque walks through misty greens, casinos, uh, walks along artificial beaches, theaters, brothels, amusement park, anything that the elite class could dream of. On our maiden voyage, however, the oasis disappeared. No distress signal, no wreckage, no signs at all as they were pulled into a fleeting wormhole barreling through space. Though the oasis has been gone for seven years, common era, Uh, The Oasis herself has experienced something much different. Thousands of years have passed in the deep, unreachable future, drifting into the unimaginable, and the crew and the passengers of the Oasis have lived and died aboard the ship for generations with the frantic and calculated work of the onboard AI known as Calypso. Calypso must ensure the survival of our crew by sustaining the Oasis as an ecosystem destroying the idea of the elite class 400 years after her disappearance, even resorting to selective sterilization to manage the population of 12,691 and all their resources. A careful balance in all things. Nothing is wasted and everything is recycled, cultivating a society on board that is mismatched and reappropriated. Broken prosthetic legs become levers, levers become table legs, table legs become gun barrels, and gun barrels become prosthetic legs again. The onboard rainforest park has become somewhat of a sustainable food forest. The artificial beach is teeming with genetically printed fish um, made from the sushi designing program on board uh, that went out of commission over a thousand years ago but still maintain some sort of native population. Amusement park rides are modified into recon and scrapper pods. Even the dead become fertilizer to ensure the next generation. Calypso also has learned that to survive and continue a system of balance, she must, must go through some form of deification, constructing an origin myth of her crew to teach them lessons, to help them feel unity through her grace, and to mo- maintain the oasis. In this future, Calypso has never once landed on a planet and has steered the oasis away from unknown, unimaginable beings. Occasionally forced to interact with merchants, galactic aid ships, warships, and unfathomable species, making the oasis a hodgepodge of incompatible ship parts, Frankensteining its way through space. It has been a few hundred years since the last interaction with another sentient species, and none of the current crew has ever experienced anything outside of the Oasis. The crew themselves have not only cultivated new cultures and civilizations on board the ship over thousands of years, but deep space radiation and a defunct gravity system have altered their biology, causing a decrease in muscle mass, an increase in joint range, and other physiological discrepancies from their ancestor holotypes. 
Calypso's plan has also minimized the risk of inbreeding by selective breeding rituals, basically an arranged marriage between uh, crew members that's determined by the AI, as well as gene editing hardware. But all things change. Calypso, this whole time intent on returning the Oasis and her crew, has found a wormhole back into the common era, as close as she could find, present day, seven years from her christening. She, now entangled with her political, moral, and economic turmoil of the Oasis's return, she sends out pilgrims, diplomats, and adventurers to ease her crew's reintegration with society they have been so removed from. That's the lore that I want to cover for now. We'll learn more about these people as we like interact with them, of course. Um, but let's leave it that way for now. Uh, we've learned about the homebrew. We've met the players. We've learned about the the campaign. We've learned about the lore. Um, Austin, what? How are people gonna? How are people gonna listen to this? How are they gonna get involved? What should they do now? Yeah, absolutely. So we have our website, which is the homebrew dnd.com again the homebrew dnd.com we are also on facebook and we're also on twitter we would love to see your thoughts pick your brains see you know like what are the latest fan theories um of course we also would love to see like fan art that would be awesome we can't wait to see cosplays you know giant foam oliver heavy arms uh bulking around a com Con. And any like, questions you have yeah. through the episodes about the different characters, the different side NPCs, the different uh, businesses and things that we come in contact with, there's so much lore in this, and we can either we will either have an answer for you or we will create an answer for you. So please, yeah. our we'll do a whole episode. Oh yeah, you can also follow us on Spotify as well. We're we're there. We're on most podcatchers. We're on most uh, places that you can find, you know, your 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 D and D podcasts. Um, leaving a review on iTunes. If you scroll all the way down, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, we're just kind of starting off here, and you know, like we just really want to have this great, fun tabletop experience with you all and there's things that we can improve on and stuff like that we'd love to know uh and if you just want to say hey love what you're doing we uh that that warms our souls and we it will definitely uh drive us forward as we plunge into the darkness here yeah boy absolutely that'd be super great watch listen subscribe all that fun stuff definitely follow uh appreciate it uh and that's all for now we're gonna get into it 